Hello and welcome to today's 13th episode of Spurbs Herbs. This is going to be looking at a Chinese herbal formula, Yi Guanjian. Uh, actually, let me try and pronounce that more Chinese and excuse my poor Chinese while I do that. Yi Guanjian. And also known as linking decoction. We're going to talk a lot about that name, linking decoction. But this is an important formula that is used relatively frequently in Chinese medicine. So we're going to have a, a nice go of it. And of course, as always, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. And we're going to start that process right now. Well, before we do that, let's talk about our sponsors real quick. If you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for a California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, PDAs or Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. Check out www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org for more information. I do have a new book that I am working out coming out called Dragons in the Medicine Cabinet, Chinese Herbal Medicines Everyone Should Have at Home. It is geared towards the uh, individual rather than professionals. If you are interested in getting information about this book, please send me an email at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com. That's D-R-G-R-E-G at S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S dot com. All righty. Here we go. Thank you. So, uh, all that preliminary stuff is done. Let's get into the topic proper today. So, we have talked about Taoism in the past. Uh, that was actually on our sixth episode, focusing on Shiao San, a rambling powder, because the name Shiao San actually comes from a quote from Zhuangzi, who is a very, very famous disciple of Taoism. But Taoism isn't the only influence on Chinese medicine. In the history of China, there have been many philosophical religious influences on society in general. Now, I put here philosophical slash religious influences because I think religion in in uh, Chinese in in China is is actually quite a bit different than it is kind of perceived from a western sort of approach and and the the lines between philosophy and religion kind of blur i always when i teach this topic in my class i'd always ask what is the difference between philosophical philosophy and religion and uh it was always a, a fun hoot trying to to figure that out and, and frankly we didn't i i know what my personal difference is between that i think um philosophy uh is predicated on logic um and religion there's always a leap of faith in religion but then people would rightfully say well there's often a leap of faith when it comes to philosophy as well so it's it's a very difficult thing you know some people said well maybe the difference between them is what happens after you die religion tells you what's going to happen after you die and philosophy doesn't necessarily but there are philosophies that do so it's hard to tell the difference and i think you know in 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 the west we we really can like pinpoint religions uh and go that's a religion and uh and that's more of a philosophy and that that may have come from our our greek ancestors and and the way religions developed but in china it's very difficult to tell the difference between a philosophy 
philosophy and a religion. So, so I, I put a slash here on the influences of, of uh, philosophies and religions on society in China. But they have, you know, of course, if it, if it is influencing the society and the culture, of course, it's going to have a huge impact on Chinese medicine. And so um, it's important for us as we, we look into Chinese medicine, Chinese herbs, as we do in this, in this podcast, to, to look at some of these influences as we go along. So uh, we're going to do, we're going to talk about one of those today. So of those that have had the most influence on Chinese medicine, really they come down to the, to the three big philosophy slash religions in China. And that includes Taoism, which, as I said, we, we talked about already, at least began a discussion about because, of course, um, that discussion is never really over. Um, we are not going to talk about Buddhism today. Buddhism is, has had a huge impact on China, which is interesting because it's actually an Indian philosophy as opposed to philosophy slash religion, as opposed to Taoism and the one that we are going to talk a little bit about today, Confucianism, which are homegrown in, in China. So we are going to talk about Confucianism today. Those, so those are the big three, Taoism, Buddhism, Confucianism. Another very big philosophy, I think you'd be hard-pressed to put this in the religious category, religion category, um, was legalism, which which about the same time that, that Chinese medicine was first developing and becoming codified, legalism was, it was very important uh, philosophy in China at that point. And it had some influence probably on Chinese medicine, but probably not much, to a much lesser extent than Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Uh, and, and Taoism being the earliest of those um, probably has had a lot of influence. Uh, there's prominent scholars that say Taoism has had more influence on, on the herbal side of things, and Confucianism has had more influence on on the acupuncture side of things, uh, though I, you can certainly give examples in, in both realms about Taoism and Confucianism. Buddhism is, Buddhism is a little bit more subtle. We'll talk about that at a future future thing, but it, it certainly has had a, a strong influence on Chinese medicine over the millennia of development of Chinese medicine. So let's go ahead and start to introduce Confucianism. So Confucius, who is believed to have lived between 551 and 479 BCE, so that's over 2,500 years ago, he was a thinker, a political figure, an educator, and founder of the Ru School of Chinese Thought. So that is sort of the, the one sentence uh, of Confucius. He wrote several books in, in Chinese, and probably the most famous of them are the Analects, often called the Analects of Confucius. And uh, there were several others. We're going to we'll talk about a couple of them as we go through this. So the Analects become the foundation of the Chinese concept of the education and conduct of the ideal man. Uh, and, and I'm using man here in, in a, a generalized sense. It, the ideal human would probably be another approach to this. Uh, of course, it's ideal. So it's never really attainable, but that's what... Confucius said everyone should strive towards. And, and this included how to live and interact with others, the forms of society and government in which he or she should participate. So there's, you know, for you to be an ideal person, you cannot 
be part of a government that is not supportive of that. So it's important that you that that's there. And uh, often Confucius's influence in Chinese history is compared to Socrates in the West. If you're not familiar with Socrates, he's kind of considered the founding father of, of Western philosophy and uh, very important in everything that has come uh, in philosophy. He wasn't the only one. Confucius wasn't the only philosopher at his time or, or after his time. Uh, but the importance of Confucius is in, in Chinese culture is very difficult to underestimate. So he really did, you know, start with talking about principles of social organization administration. He, one of his founding things was, um, so is the, the, the individual, it goes in, in order, individual, family, uh, you know, city, society, government, all the way up through heaven, all of those need to be in alignment or you have disharmony. And you have things out of whack. So he was very much about social organization administration. And this contrasts a lot with the individualism and independent spirit of Americans. You know, I, I, I dare say the, the anthem for us is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Um, so, and no, I'm not going to sing. Um, so um, very not about individualism. Uh, Confucianism was always about knowing exactly who you were and where you fit into the overall social organization and structure of society and and being comfortable in that position and 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 being you know i i think of it um as you know the the quote um if you're going to be a street sweeper be the best darn street sweeper there is that's sort of the that's confucianism in sort of a, a nutshell if you're uh, you're supposed to be in this part of the structure, be the best part of that structure you can be, the social structure. So that's sort of Confucianism. There are imperial manifestations of exactly where you are should be. So for example, only the emperor wore yellow, which makes sense. Uh, you know, the, the emperor, the, the name emperor is actually derived from, from Huang Di, who was the first emperor of China, historical legendary emperor of China. Huang Di actually means yellow earth emperor you know that sort of thing but yellow is part of the name so makes sense that only the emperor was allowed to wear yellow in entirety of china um i you know you think that's weird but then we look at like the british monarchy monarchy for 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 centuries were the only ones who were supposed to wear purple so it's it's not unheard of in in western societies in that regard um, I, I like this one. The emperor's throne was farthest from the door, but facing it. And I like that from a very practical point of view. And when we're saying farthest from the door, you know, having been to the foreign forbidden uh, city uh, when I when I went to China, I mean, we're, we're not talking, you know, it's 100 feet away or, you know, it's 50 feet away. We're, we're talking a football field away. I mean, it's it's 100, if not hundreds of yards away all open and the emperor can see whoever is approaching. And so from a practical point of view, it just makes a lot of sense. It'd be very difficult to be an assassination attempt from him for him. He gets to see who's coming talk with his advisors, plot what he's going to say, all that sort of stuff. It, it makes a lot of sense. And that would be sort of, you know, and 
from the other side of it, as someone who's coming to meet the emperor, how in, impressive and impulsive and, and like you have to walk and walk and walk and walk before you even get into, you know, the ability to yell, which you would never do, but I mean, within yelling range of it. So it's, it's very imposing on someone who's coming there. So all this would be um, sort of manifestations of Confucianism, real world manifestations. Uh, the rank of public officials was clearly evident from clothes they wore. You could tell exactly where someone's rank was and therefore be able to give proper uh, deference or, or proper, you know, um, if you were higher than them, you know, give them proper accord. So very important. People lived their lives within parameters firmly established by heaven. There was a purposeful supreme being. So again, we can, now we start to see that sort of heaven, I mean, that religion come into this. Uh, nature's, nature and its fixed cycles and patterns were very important and we needed to be in alignment with those when we were, uh, you know, within the Confucian thought process. Men are responsible for their actions and their treatment of others. We can do little or nothing to change our fate and lifespan. So Confucianism was, was quite fatalistic in its approach to things. Uh, and, and by the way, if you think Confucianism, you know, was ancient or anything along those lines, I, I would dare say, you know, I'm not an expert on, on modern uh, China, but I would dare say Confucianism is very ingrained in modern day Chinese uh, Chinese communism, you know, the communists kind of appropriated Confucianism to kind of say, this is your place, do your thing, you know, um, give to society sort of thing. Confucianism and, and communism to me seem very much hand in hand. So I, I think these, these sort of concepts, maybe not quite as, as ritualistic uh, as, as Confucian, Confucius would say, but very much the ideals are very similar to communism and, and very much alive today would be my, my feeling about how China is. So um, even though we have little or nothing to change our fate in lifetime, we do determine what we accomplish and what we are remembered for. And that's important because part of Confucianism is ancestor worship. And so uh, you want to be remembered by your, by your uh, descendants. All right, here's a few quotes from the Analects. Like I said, this is probably is considered his most important work. There are others, but this is most important. And it kind of explained who Confucius was. So Confucius at home in his native village was simple and unassuming in manner, as though he did not trust himself to speak. But when in the ancestral temple or at court, he speaks readily, though always choosing his words with due caution. Uh, this says Lun Yu 10.1. So Lun Yu is a portion of the Analects. When at court conversing with the officers of a lower grade, he is friendly, though straightforward. When conversing with officers of a higher grade, he is restrained, but precise. When the ruler is present, he is wary, but not cramped. See all these sort of opposites. Interesting. That was 10.2, by the way, so that's the next paragraph. And here is 10.4, so we skip a paragraph. On entering the palace gate, he seems to contract his body as though there was not sufficient room to admit him. If he halts, it must never be in the middle of the gate, nor in going through does he ever tread on the threshold. Very, all these rules, super important in ancient China. We skip to 10.7 and 10.8 of the Lun Yu. When fasting in preparation for sacrifice, he must wear the bright robe, 
and it must be of linen. He must change his food, and also the place where he commonly sits. He does not object to his rice being thoroughly clean, nor to his meat being finely, finely minced. 10.15, when sending a messenger to inquire after someone in another country, he bows himself twice while seeing the messenger off. Not once, not three times, twice. Skipping to 10.24, 10.25, in bed, he avoided lying in the posture of a corpse. On meeting anyone in deep mourning, he must bow across the bar of his chariot. What I'm trying to, you know, what I'm trying to do with some of these is show the very meticulous rituals slash um, things someone should do. And they're meticulous. This is part of confusion. This is exactly how you're supposed to do something to show proper respect. So within Confucianism, the emperor is at the very top of the social hierarchy. There's nobody higher than that. Superior leaders have virtue or duh. If you're not familiar with this word duh, um, Taoism, we talked about um, briefly. Uh, we mentioned the, the founding book of, of, uh, of Taoism is the Tao Te Ching, which is translate one of the translations is the classic of uh, the way to virtue or through virtue or with virtue and so that duh is the same thing here the virtue here's a quote from Lun Yu 2.1 he who governs by means of his virtue is to use an analogy like the pole star or the north star it remains in its place while all the lesser stars do homage to it or homage to it so that's that's the superior leader the way to maintain one of the interesting thing the the books that we we're talking about under confusion the books we talk about under Taoism they often talk about leading and leadership within uh, and 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 that very different views of it but these sort of philosophy philosophical books talk a lot about government the way so back to Confucianism the way to maintain and cultivate such royal virtue was through the practice and enactment of Li rituals or heavenly principles. Sacrificial rites performed at ancestral temples, toasting, gifts exchange, gift exchange, acts of politeness and decorum, bowing and yielding, etc. So bowing is an important one. Uh, if when bowing, you should always bow lower than someone of higher rank from you. So for example, when I go into my martial arts school, I, it was my duty to bow lower than my teacher. And same thing under Confucianism, you should know the rank of everybody around you and make sure that you're bowing at the proper height in order to show proper respect. And of course, this is why when you meet the emperor, you kowtow, you put your forehead on the ground. That's the ultimate bow uh, because he is the ultimate highest uh, person to receive a bow. So, and this these ideas of Lee rituals, heavenly principle became the curriculum for civil service education. If you wanted to go into government or have anything to do with government, you had to memorize all this and do it impeccably. Otherwise, your career would be very, very short, as could be your life. So very important that you knew this stuff and you were tested on it. So here are a few more quotes. This equilibrium is the great root from which grow all the human actions in the world. And this harmony is the universal path which they all should pursue. This is actually from another one of Confucius's books, The Doctrine of the Mean. So holding to the middle, Doctrine of the Mean. Um, going back to the Analects, men's natures are alike. It is their habits that carry them far apart. Study the past 
if you would define the future. So one of the, the key concepts of Confucianism is education. That's very important. And we're going to see that um, come up in our next two quotes. I am not one who was born in the possession of knowledge. I am one who is fond of antiquity and earnest in seeking it there. And finally, our last quote from the Analects, to learn and from time to time to apply what one has learned. Isn't that a pleasure? Learning without thought is labor lost. Thought without learning is perilous. Good quotes. So why are we talking about all this in the concept of sperms herbs? So this is important. It has a huge influence on, on medicine. So what are some of those influences of Confucianism on Chinese medicine? In herbal formulas, we see this. There's a precise role of each ingredient. We're going to talk about that a lot in today's, today's lecture. Um, or I should say episode, not really a lecture. Um, there's a precise role for each ingredient. Confu they're, they're talked about in Confucian political terms of decreasing rank. So uh, the, the concept in, in, in Chinese herbalism is called Jun Qian Zuo Shi, or sovereign minister, assistant, and envoy. So the, the sovereign or king or, or emperor herb is the most important herbs, and it can't be more than one. And then you have the minister herbs, the assistant herbs, and the envoy herbs. Like I said, we're going to talk about that in our formula today. In the Shendong Bansao Jing, which is probably the oldest book on individual herbs, we talk about herbs as being shang zhang xia, or high, middle, or low and low grades. Again, this is this concept of ranking is very Confucius in its thought process. In more general terms, in the body, the heart is the sovereign. We we all the viscera and bowels have bureaucratic roles, according to uh, Chinese medicine, and and that is the influence of Confucianism. So the we have the heart as the emperor, and we have minister, um, viscera and bowels. I'll be honest with you, learned them all, but I don't I don't recall the all the different uh, roles that they play uh, in it. So, but. Uh, Traditionally, that's how we discuss these these organs in in the body. So that's Confucius Confucianism's influence on Chinese medicine. And finally, we come to today's formula: Confucianism and Yi Guanqian. So why did we spend all this time talking about Confucianism? What does it have to do with our herbal formula today? Is because the name of this formula is believed to be a reference to a passage. In the Analects, in chapter 4, in this passage, Confucius tells his disciple, Zheng Zi, my way consists of one principle that links everything. And so the, I, the formula, Yi Guanjian, is the linking decoction. So that's where we think this, this comes into play and where that name was from. So in this formula... The name is understood to be a reference to the liver, which is yin in essence, but manifests through its yang function. So this idea of yin and yang is very important on today's formula. This formula combines enriching, moistening, and softening herbs that act on yin with one that is bitter and cooling and acts on the yang. So that is it. These herbs are linked by this joint effort on the function of the liver. And if you look at the liver, the liver's function is to connect uh, qi to the rest of the body. So linking is sort of part of the function of the liver. So that's where this, the title, this is why this formula is called Yi Guan Jian. And it comes from this Confucian quote. And that is what's the reason why we were talking about Confucius. So having said all that, Let's get into some of the specifics of this formula. So Yi Guan Jian, 
uh, and that is first tone, fourth tone, first tone on the, the different words. If you do a little bit of Chinese, it's translation, as we've been saying, is linking decoction. It doesn't really have a lot of other translations. There aren't a whole bunch of other names for this formula other in, in English, other than linking decoction or in Chinese, there weren't alternative Chinese names either. So very straightforward. And, and part of that is it's a, it's a relatively more modern formula. We'll see when it, it came on the, on the scene, but it's not an older formula. It is in the nourish and tonify the yin category of, of formulas. So that's what it does is nourishes and tonifies the yin. And traditionally, we take this as a decoction. Now, I had to look up this word jian um, because, you know, this is, there's not a lot of formulas that have jian. Most of our formulas, especially those that are decoctions, end with the word tong in Chinese. And so jian, as far as I can tell, is just a synonym for tong. It didn't really have any, I was like, oh, there's going to be some great what is the difference between a jian and a tang? And I didn't find much in the way of a difference between a jian and tang. It's just a decoction as well. And and for those of you not familiar with the decoction, that that means boiling in water. It's a it's a water, uh, a boiling water extraction of the herbs. So this is where you put the herbs in the pot and you boil it up and then you strain it and drink the the fluids afterwards. So it's actions, it's Chinese medical actions are to enrich the yin and spread the liver chi. And this is, this is the interesting aspect of this. So there's lots of formulas that will enrich the yin, um, but this is a particular situation where the liver chi is depressed or, or stagnant. And so it also needs to be spread. And that combination of things, while relatively common in, in IRL in real life, but it's not that common of there's no other formulas that really treat this as effectively or even directly. There's not any other formulas that really treat this directly other than the Yi Guanjian, at least none that I'm familiar with. So uh, that was enriches the yin and spreads the liver chi. Chen and Chen is a little bit more specific in that it not just enriches the yin, it specifically nourishes kidney and liver yin as well as regulating the liver chi. So um, I, Bensky uh, was the, the first one. There's, there's really two sources for a lot of this information in today's lecture. One is Bensky and his team, and this is uh, Formulas and Strategies, uh, and that's a, a very widely used and well-known textbook in, in Chinese medicine, Chinese herbalism. Uh, Chen and Chen is another book on formulas that's out there. It's a few years newer, um, but it's the first uh, revision of it, while Bensky's, I think this is the third revision of it. Um, so third edition of it. So it's a little bit older and more refined. They're both fantastic textbooks. And what I like is contrasting them because there are some differences between the two of them. And so we're, you'll hear me a lot. Well, Bensky says this, Chen Chen says that. By the way, it wasn't Bensky alone. He had a whole team working with him. And um, I think Volker Schreiden, who's very famous in, in Chinese and written several books, uh, is is one of the team members. So there's, you know, when I say Bensky, I mean all of them, Bensky et al., um, and then Chen Chen. So um, Chen Chen is a little bit more specific. It just doesn't enrich the yin, as, as Bensky says, but it is the kidney and liver yin. And we're going to see when we look at the individual herbs that that, is, that makes a lot of sense of what we do. And for those not familiar with, with uh, Chinese medicine out there, we say yin comes from the kidney. So it would be difficult 
to nourish kid, uh, yin without doing something with the kidney as well. But in this case, it specifically helps liver yin as well, which is important. And then uh, Bensky says spreads liver chi. Chenshin says regulates the liver chi. Those are synonyms, basically. Those are the same thing that moves the liver chi. That's another synonym in this context. Indications for this formula. So that's it. Really straightforward. Two things. Ridges the yin, spreads the liver chi. Indications include hypochondriac, epigastric, and chest pain, dry mouth. And well, before I get off of that, so there's these three pains, and that makes sense because the liver is in charge of moving. And when things are stuck, which is the liver chi in this case, because we are saying there is a depression or stagnation, again, different translations of the same word depression or stagnation. Um, I think most people use stagnation, at least that's what I learned when I was first learning things. But I think in a more technical approach to a depression is probably a better translation than from yu, that's the word yu from, from the Chinese. But uh, the reason why that's important and this spreads liver chi, if you have stagnant chi, in Chinese medicine, you have pain, you know, that, that can cause pain. And so the fact that this can treat hypochondriac. So hypochondriac means, you know, basically below the rib cage, epigastric around the stomach and chest pain indicates that that makes a lot of sense because there's stagnant liver chi. So there should be pain somewhere. And this is a likely place for that pain to be because these are where a lot of the, the liver meridians go through. It can also help a dry mouth and throat, acid reflux, a red dry tongue, and a wiry pulse that is thin, frail, or vacuous. So vacuous is another word for deficiency, a shoe. Um, a wiry pulse is a unique pulse in, in Chinese medicine, and it's often described as a, a guitar wire pulled taut as you feel the, the pulse. Um, we use it a lot. It's a very common pulse in our modern-day society, um, but a very important pulse. One of these days, we'll talk about pulses and presence preserves. So Chen Chen also adds a sore throat. So instead of dry mouth and throat only, it adds a sore throat. And occasionally it says it can help a hernia or a mass as well. So other than that, it was pretty, pretty similar between the two books. So this formula combines the primary strategy of nourishing the liver yin with the, the liver yin with a secondary strategy of dispersing liver chi and clearing heat in order to treat conditions due to liver chi constraint occurring against a background of liver yin and blood deficiency. So this is an interesting, again, this is from Bensky et al. So first of all, it says clearing heat. That was not part of its its actions as a, as a list. But if you look at the herbs involved, a lot of them will clear heat. And that makes sense. When you have yin deficiency, you don't have Yin is the fluids of the body, the cooling aspect of the body. And when you're deficient, when you don't have enough of that yin, you tend to have heat. What we call empty heat is very common in that in that context. Um, and then it also says blood deficiency here, which again, we have not mentioned blood deficiency at all in anything that we talked about. But we like to look at... Uh, at blood and yin deficiency on a spectrum that uh, basically less severe uh, deficiency is going to be more of a blood deficiency and more severe on this on this aspect is going to be a yin deficiency. So it makes sense that we have yin and blood deficiency. They often go hand in hand. If you have yin deficiency, you have some blood involvement. So it makes sense that that is a, uh, this was a quote from Bensky and it makes sense in that context.
All right, let's talk a little bit about the history of this formula. It was first mentioned in the Shu Ming Yi Lei An, or the continuation of famous physicians' cases organized by categories. And this was written in 1770, according to Bensky et al. However, Chen and Chenig does agree that this is the first mention of the formula. So it has the exact same thing. However, they attribute this treatise or chapter or whatever it was as part of another book, the Liu Zhou Yi Hua, or the Medical Dialogues from Liu Zhou, written in the mid-16th century. So they, they disagree as to exactly the timing on it. One says 1770, and the other one says somewhere around, you know, the mid-16th century, so the 1550s, somewhere in there, you know, 1540s to the 1570s. So there's actually a 200-year difference between Chen Chen and Bensky. And I find this is often a uh, question of, uh, the, between the two books, they will tell different stories about when, when a, a formula was, was uh, first mentioned. Having said that, even if it was in the mid 1500s, we are we are talking about uh, in Chinese medicine at least a relatively more common herbal formula, where you know a lot of the herbal formulas we we use were were done in the later Han period, so 200 CE, revised in the you know in the 600s, and then really kind of worked on in the 900s and 1300s. You know we're we're looking at uh, a lot of our herb formulas were, were well established by the the mid 15th 1500s and so um, relatively modern formula more modern if you listen to Bensky less modern if you look at Chen Chen so what are the ingredients of this formula so the first ingredient we're going to talk about is Romanie radix or Shengdi Huang there are 18 to 45 grams of this herb in this formula. That is a large dose of most herbs. Romania, um, that's a, a relatively larger dose of, of Romania, though Romania does have bigger doses than, than usual. Most herbs are around nine grams, give or take, uh, in a formula. And uh, Romania is often 15 grams, 18 grams, 21 grams. 45 grams is a lot for this, but not out of the realm of safety or anything along those lines. Shengdi Wang is an herb, is in the category of herbs that cool the blood. So it is a cooling blood. So we have the blood involvement, we have the cooling aspect of it. Um, however, if you know your, your Di Wangs, your Romanias, um, this is fresh Romania. We also have Shu Di Wang, which is prepared Romania, and that is much more of a blood tonic. And so that the differences between Shung fresh or Chu prepared Romania may not be all that different. So often they're, they, they're used interchangeably or, or what have you. So this is cooling the blood, but it's also building the blood a little bit as well. Chen Chen state, this is an interesting thing. Chen Chen state, this is the chief herb of this formula, Shen Di Wang. And, and you can see why it does build yin a little bit, yin blood. It cools a little bit. Um, doesn't necessarily move. In fact, it kind of does the opposite. It's cloying, but it's a, you can see why this is a big, a powerful herb, and it could be the chief herb. But Bensky says it's actually an assistant herb, so it's not the main herb in this formula. So some controversy. Dun, dun, dun. It tonifies the liver and kidney yin and nourishes the blood, according to Chen and Chen, while Bensky state. It states it, it it enriches the fluid, softens the liver, and clears heat from constraint. So they're a little bit apart, not hugely apart. Uh, and 
all of what they say definitely is a boon to this formula. Our next ingredient is lychee fructus or uh, gochidza. Uh, again, a relatively high dose of this uh, gochidza, 9 to 18 grams. Like I said, 9 is about right. 18 grams is a little high for gochidza, but um, important in this formula. It is from the tonify the blood category. So this is definitely a, a tonify the blood category. And Bensky does say this is the chief herb, while Chen Chen says it's a deputy herb. So again, a little bit of controversy there. So according to Bensky, it softens the liver by nourishing the blood and yin of the kidneys and facilitates the lungs function of regulating the chi, according to Bensky. I, I said according to Bensky, so that's that's all Bensky's work. Um, stuff and and this is interesting so softens the liver by nourishing the blood and yin of the kidneys so one of the things we're going to talk a little bit about as we talk about this formula is there's five elemental if you look at the five elements of of chinese medicine there are concordances between the five elements and individual organs and the kidney is is part of the water element while the liver is part of the wood element and wood generate i mean water generates wood so the kidney are considered the mother of the liver and if we can do something and soften the kidneys and nourish the blood and you know the kidneys that's going to help the liver and in this case that's really important because we are talking about both the kidneys and the liver so that makes a lot of sense so softens the liver nourishing blood and you know the kidneys facilitates the lungs functions of regulating chi that's what bensky chen chen is very similar um it, it, but it also says along with the other deputy herb, Dongwe, so they put Dongwe as a deputy herb as well, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, tonifies the yin, nourishes the blood, and generates body fluids and softens the liver. So very similar sort of functions. They kind of state it in a slightly different way, but very, very similar. Glenia adenophore radix, or sha shen. Uh, this is nine grams. So there's a good standard dose, nine grams. Uh, and this is from the nourish the yin category of herbs. So we have a nice nourish yin herb here. This is one of the more more controversial herbs in this formula based on the differences between Chen Chen and Bensky. So wait, there seems to be a lot of controversy in this formula, like exactly the roles of all the different herbs. But th that's sort of true. Different experts say different things about this stuff in most formulas, especially older formulas. This is newer, so even even here. So Chen Chen state it's actually Glenia radix by Sha Shen. So it's not Adenophore. Those are two that are often combined. They're very similar and they're combined into Sha Shen, but you can get by Sha, Sha Shen or white Sha Shen, um, which is the Glenia, and it's a little bit more specific. And Adenophore, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's non-Sha Shen, but it's uh, a different Sha Shen. Um, it, Chen Shen says it's not, it's Glenia radix, not Adenophore radix. It is a deputy herb and all the deputies have the same function as formula, which we just mentioned when we talked about our, um, when we talked about the uh, Sheng Di Wang, uh, same thing because Sheng Di Wang is a, there uh, we go. Uh, so we said it enriches the fluid, softens the liver, and clears heat from constraint. All the deputies do that, according to Chen Chen. Bensky states it's an, at, not a deputy herb. It's an assistant herb. Those are different ranks. And along with Maimondong, uh, which, again, we're going to mention just a little bit, and that's a yin tonic herb as well, nourishes the influence of 
yin fluids of the stomach and lungs, treats dry mouth and throat, and indirectly helps soften the liver. And the reason why it says indirectly helps soften the liver is because it's doing that through the mother, the kidneys, because that helps the, 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 those herbs go to the kidneys, not the liver at all, really. And so more of a, a kidney herb and but by treating the kidney you're softening the liver you're, you're treating the liver as the as the son of the kidneys moving on to that maimandong that we talked about ophiopagonus radix as i mentioned this is in the nourish the yin category of herbs has the same functions as the other deputies, according to Chen Chen and Sha Shen, according to Bensky. So uh, Sha Shen and Maimandong are are paired. They're, those are often paired together. So they have very similar functions and kind of, you know, influence each other and, and make each of them stronger. So that's a big one. Our next herb is Angelicae sinensis radix or Donggui. This is one of the most important herbs in Chinese medicine. I think we, we've already done a Spurbs herbs on it as well. Very important herb, nine grams. So we got that, that nice dosing. I didn't, I don't think I mentioned radix ovioboconus is also nine grams. So we're right there. Uh, Donggui is actually in the tonify the blood category. So it's not a yin tonic herb, but as I said, blood and yin are related. So that makes sense. And, Surprisingly, both Chen and Chen and Bensky agree this is a deputy herb. So as we've been talking about with Chen and Chen, they have all the same functions. All the deputies have the same functions, uh, which we've mentioned, but it enriches the fluid, softens the liver, and clears heat from constraint. Uh, Dongwe is an interesting herb in that context. So Bensky says it nourishes the blood, but its spicy and warm nature focuses the formula on moving the qi and blood and not merely nourishing the yin. So Dongwe is sort of a unique herb. We often, what, what we say about Dongwe is it tonifies the blood by tonifying the qi of the blood. So um, it's it's a little bit more, it, it's got a little bit of this qi aspect of things, which we say blood and yin are on, on a continuum. Um, on the other side of that continuum is qi and yang are on a continuum. So sort of the opposite of yin to a certain extent, but it does build blood, which is what we're talking about. So it's a very interesting herb in that it, it's doing what we want it to do, but it's kind of doing it in a different way. And so, um, but an important way, really important way. And so it is spicy and warm. So it moves the chi and blood, which again, remember, is part of this function, spreading the liver chi. So that's that's a good aspect of it. Um, and, and building the blood, which helps supports the inbuilding process, all that. So it's a really useful herb. Of course, it's a general it's a really useful herb and it's often used especially in quote-unquote female formulas or formulas more for for women and this formula while it certainly can be used in men it generally is, is more commonly used in women so it makes sense too that there's these herbs in this combination and this in this formula as well so finally we have uh tusenden fructus or Chuan Lianza Zia. Uh, so this is a, a really interesting herb in this formula. This is in the regulate chi herb category. So this moves chi. That's all it does. It does not build. It's not nourishing. Um, Bensky says it's an envoy herb. And Chen Chen interestingly says it's both an assistant and an envoy herb. It's both. So very interesting that it has both of those in there. So Bensky et al. say it is used to disperse constrained liver chi and that it is normally bitter nature damages the yin. 
So this is the opposite of what we're trying to do with this formula, except the other herbs in this formula mitigate this. So because all the other herbs are yin tonify in nature, this won't damage the yin, but it does move the chi. And vice versa, the herbs in this formula are cloying. Anything that tonifies in Chinese medicine is usually cloying, which means it tends to cause stagnation. So it says in, in this formula are cloying and can hinder chi movement. And this herb moderates this tendency. So this is the herb that's yang in nature that is opposing the rest of the, the herbs in this formula, which are yin in nature. And so by having that in that conflict, we actually get to kind of smooth out a lot of the the rough edges of the individual herbs. And and again, if you look, you know, when we, we talk about formulas in general in Chinese medicine, the whole concept of a formula in Chinese medicine is that every herb has yin and yang, has good and bad. And the reason why we make formulas and we combine things in formulas is to maximize the yang or the good that we're looking for in a given formula and minimize the side effects and the bad or the yin in that formula. And so this is a great example of this. This herb sort of takes the edge off of the other herbs. And of course, the other herbs prevent the edge of this herb from actually being too too harsh. And so that's great. Chen Chen is not quite as as elaborate in its in its in its analysis, but says it smooths liver chi circulation and guides the formula to liver channel. So that's an interesting thing too. We have guiding herbs in, in Chinese medicine. So often we'll throw an herb into a formula to guide the rest of the formula to where we want it to be. And this herb acts a little bit like that in this formula as well. So that is are the ingredients for the formula and now let's go into our commentary each of the books have a commentary and kind of help explain the the functions and the uses and the whys of a formula so let's get into that so remember when we're getting this commentary we're looking at this formula does two things it builds you in and it moves chi Liver cheese specifically. So acrid moving herbs are necessary to unblock constraint and open the channels and collateral. So we want that movement, but we need spicy moving herbs to do that. Acrid means spicy. Movement of chi also requires fluids to moisten and control it. Without the fluids, normal yang chi can turn into fire. And without lubrication, the chi is no longer smoothed and stagnation ensues with distension and pain. So as soon as you have stagnation, you have pain and you can have distension as well. So um, we need fluids here too to kind of facilitate everything that's happening. This formula is used in cases where there is constraint due to lack of lubrication and cooling. It works at this on two levels. Gochidza and Dangwe work at the level of liver blood. Remember, both of those are tonified liver, uh, tonified blood herbs. Gochidza also enriches the essence. Uh, essence is a whole other concept. Jing, whole other concept. Yin and Yang are both derived from essence. It's, essence is sort of the primordial, primal sort of aspect of, of human life. So you have to have essence. Um, but And so gochiza can enrich that essence, that jing, and thus supports the liver through its mother organ, the kidneys. The kidneys store the essence and they help generate the yin and the yang. That's why the kidneys are so important in everything that we're doing here. And so the, uh, yeah, the so gochiza works on the kidneys, not just the liver blood. The assistant herbs focus on the level of fluids. Sheng Di Huang enters the blood and clears heat and generates fluids. 
Maimandong and Shashen generate fluids in the upper and middle burners. So again, another whole Chinese medical concept, uh, that of the triple burners. So the triple burners, we have upper, middle, and lower burners. It's our abdomen basically cut in thirds. Uh, we, we do it right around the the uh, xiphoid process. In the that's on uh, the that separates the middle and the upper burners and then the middle and lower burners are right around the umbilicus or the, the belly button. And, uh, so, and, and it's important burners, three burners are sort of, a. I, I, they facilitate the movement there. I, I like to think of them as like pipes, like fluid pipes. So the burners aren't working properly. Uh, then you don't actually have good fluid flow going between the aspects of the body. So this is uh, important. It generates fluids in the upper and middle burners. The kidneys are part of the lower burner. So a lot of what we're doing here is helping the lower burner. The Maimon dog and the Shashan also help the upper and middle burner. So that's useful in this context as well. So Gochiza and Dongwe may be regarded as a variation of Siwu Tong or forced substance decoction adapted for opening constraint. So this is interesting. Siwu Tong is if um, you know at a very basic level is that formula uh, that we when you have blood deficiency, this is sort of the main formula for that for substance decoction or Siwu Tong. But it doesn't always help open constraint. So this sort of two herb combination of gochiza and dongwei is sort of like siwutang for opening constraints. It's a very interesting combination and an interesting way to view those two herbs in the context of this formula. Same token, they say that shengdi, shashen, and maimandong can be considered a variation of zongye tang or increase the fluids decoction adapted to facilitating movement rather than clearing heat. So normally, increase the fluids decoction is going to increase the yin and clear some heat. But in this case, it's more about movement. So again, it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, view at the individual herbs in the formula. All of this commentary was from Bensky, uh, and they do acknowledge some sources consider Shengdi as the chief herb rather than Gochiza. So that's good uh, because Chen Chen considers Shengdi to be the, the, the chief herb or the sovereign herb or the emperor herb. A more modern physician, Zhang Shan Lei, in careful deliberations on windstroke, writes this formula quote, can be used to treat all kinds of disorders arising where the blood is insufficient, the collaterals plugged up, and the liver and gallbladder are out of control. Liver and gallbladder are, are pairs, are yin and yang pairs under of uh, paired organs. It has a particularly outstanding effect if there's no blocked phlegm or accumulation of thin mucus. So that's really interesting. Some examples of these types of disorders include pain in parts of the body near the liver channels, menstrual pain, bulging, quote-unquote, bulging disorders, chronic abdominal pain, liver and kidney yin deficiency, abdominal masses, and wasting and thirsting disorder. Wasting and thirsting disorder is diabetes. That's often translated as diabetes in, into the Western context. I don't know if it's perfect one-to-one -one, uh, correlation, but generally we think of that. When we think of diabetes, we think of wasting and thirsting disorder in Chinese medicine. So... The whole point of all this is this supports the use of this formula in a more general way to treat constraint due to dryness. And so 
anything that has constraint due to dryness, this formula can be useful for rather than just yin deficiency. So this is a more generalized way to look at this formula. And one of the reasons why it is, it's a relatively commonly used modern formula. We had a, a teacher uh, in, in school who just, this was one of his favorite formulas. He used it a lot on his patients, just saw a lot of use for this on his patients. Chen Chen says this condition can be caused by chronic illness, vacuity or, or deficiency, excessive sexual activity, and excessive consumption of aromatic herbs. So that's, that's an interesting commentary on this as to why you could get into this condition in the first place. They also explain why Chai Hu, Bupluri Radix, and Jir Shur are anti fructus immaturus which are both very commonly used for liver chi constraint, are not used in this formula at all. Because when you think liver chi stagnation, these are two herbs that pop into your mind. And the reason why is because both of these herbs are drying herbs that would further damage the yin in these cases. They're very strong herbs. And so, yeah, you wouldn't want them in this formula because of that drying aspect. Modifications. There are tons of modifications possible according to the text. There was probably, just in the, between the two books, there were probably 25 or 30 different modifications. I wasn't going to list them all here, but just, you know, one of the common ones, Bai Xiao, um, Peony Radix Alba, very common Chinese herb, appears to be a common addition uh, with Xuan Shen, Scrofularia Radix. Uh, it can be used for headache, dizziness, blurred vision, and or other signs of liver wind. Uh, the liver helps subdue the wind. That's a whole other concept. It also can be used by, by shell, can also be used with gonsal, glycerisary, radix, or licorice, standard licorice, for severe abdominal pain. Gonsal is often used for abdominal pain or pain in general, and so this combination is very good for abdominal pain when added to this formula. Okay, that's just an example of modifications. There's lots of others, but that, that's an example of what we're talking about. So other formulas that might be fairly similar to this, and we might want to mention real quick, are Sinisan Frigid Extremities Powder and Shiosan Rambling Powder. And this formula all treat hypochondriac pain due to liver constraints. So they're all very similar for that hypochondriac pain, so under the rib pain that is due to liver constraint. However, Sinisan strongly relieves liver constraint is used in cases with hypochondriac pain with cold extremities. Sinisan means frigid extremities powder. So um, if you have cold extremities, then Sinisan is the, and hypochondriac pain, Sinisan is the formula for you. Shiosan, which we mentioned earlier, is our sixth episode of Spur Observed, so you can go listen to that. Shiosan is used in cases when emotional upset causes the liver constraint and there's disharmony between the spleen and liver. So if there's spleen involvement, if there's emotions, emotional involvement with that hypochondriac pain, then Shiosan is your formula. And then finally, in Yi Guanjian, that's today's formula, vacuity of liver yin leads to constraint, heat, and pain. So that heat is a big aspect, that yin deficiency is a big aspect, and that's why you would choose Yi Guanjian for hypochondriac pain instead of Sinisan or Shiosan. Biomedical indications include chronic hepatitis, liver cirrhosis, liver pain due to liver cancer, so a lot of liver stuff, peptic ulcer, costochondritis, which is an inflammation of, of the, uh, of the uh, chest, of the, of the, technically the spaces be where the ribs meet the, the, um, the cartilage of the ribs. Uh, hypertension and hypertension during pregnancy 
Addison's disease, tuberculosis, diabetes mellitus, uh, which you mentioned earlier, thrombocytopenic purpura. This is where you have uh, too few uh, platelet cells and it causes little purple red sort of dots on the body. Chronic orchitis, that's an interesting one. And this orchitis is inflammation of the, of the uh, testes. And restless leg syndrome, this might be a good use. You know, if someone has restless leg syndrome, this might be a good formula for that. Chen Chen has some similar indications, but add atrophic and chronic gastritis or, or inflammation of the stomach or pain in the stomach. Duodenal ulcers, not just gastric ulcers. Premenstrual syndrome, hyperthyroidism, and ovarian dysfunction. So those are different biomedical indications. So let's get into, do any of these have any support with evidence in, in the scientific literature? And there were quite a few animal and bench studies of this formula, though nothing consistent. So I, I'm not a huge fan of animal or bench. Those are the lowest level of evidence and they may or may not have any relevance to uh, an, a human in a clinical situation. I think they're important studies, but they're important studies for us to figure out what we need to look at from human studies to see if that's true or not. So I, I don't like talking about animal and bench studies uh, because I don't think they tell us that it does anything or doesn't do anything. There was one study by Rubin uh, that used this formula during one phase of a successful case study treating a single patient with recurrent pregnancy loss and diminished ovarian reserve. So this would be a singular case study that would be, um, if, if we're looking at that animal and bench studies, we're looking at level D evidence, lowest level of evidence. This is a step above, it's in humans, but it's really, it's one person. And, and honestly, this was one formula of, I think, three or four formulas that they used in this case. Um, and so there's level C evidence, but it's low level C evidence. Um, interesting, but not necessarily useful in, in uh, populations. So there was a randomly controlled trial that had a, a N of 100, and N means number of subjects of 100. So not teeny tiny, but um, not huge either. And they looked at the use of Yiguanjian and early onset severe preeclampsia. So preeclampsia is, is hypertension or just, it's hypertension uh, in, in pregnancy. So it's an important thing. And then you have preeclampsia, which is lesser hypertension. Then you have full-blown eclampsia, which is life-threatening hypertension. Preeclampsia we're very worried about because it could go to eclampsia, so we're, we're worried about it. In this case, the control used Western medicine, while the intervention group used both Western medicine and Yi Guanjian, or a variation of Yi Guanjian. And they found that the intervention group had significantly more effective control of blood pressure without differences in the patient's or fetal's, fetal heart rates. So that, that's a positive study, a little bit small. Um, the, the, when I looked at the methodology, it wasn't it wasn't great. It didn't explain a whole bunch, but at least it's pointing us in the right direction. So this is probably higher level C evidence or might get into B minus sort of evidence. So not bad evidence at all, um, at least getting into better evidence. Uh, so there are some, some other studies that were mentioned in by Chen and Chen and uh they talk about, uh, they list several human trials showing positive results in the following conditions. So most of them are from older Chinese studies, difficult to obtain. So I couldn't confirm a lot of these things. And I can tell you they're fairly low evidence uh, that they talked about. Uh, and and when, I, when they 
talk about the results. They're, they're kind of older Chinese studies, which generally uh, methodologically are not as strong as newer ones. So uh, it says it was helpful in atrophic gastritis, when it had an N of 45 or 45 subjects, gastric, duodenal ulcers, an N of 18. Basically, you want a minimum N of between 30 and 40 to have any statistical uh, relevance, so this doesn't have statistical relevance. Premenstrual syndrome, N equals 36. Ovarian dysfunction, N equals 38. Gestational hyp hypertension, N equals 74. So that was a, a bigger study. Liver diseases, N equals 50. And it looked at several different diseases. Liver cirrhosis, individual, N equals 85. So that's a bigger study. Liver cancer, N equals 41. Hyperthyroidism, N equals 40. And finally, restless leg syndrome, N equals 20. So that's a little bit smaller. That is not statistically uh, significant. So lots of indications. I wouldn't put a whole bunch of faith in those, for, in those, those things, but at least there's some indication that those might be helpful. We have only a few minutes left and we have a few slides. So I'm going to get through these. Drug-herb interactions. Several herbs in this formula are at increased risk of drug-herb interactions. Dongwei inhibits cytochrome P451A2 and 3A4, uh, as well as P-glycoprotein. So I, I don't get into cytochrome P450s and P-glycoproteins. This is more for those who are interested in this. Just, just say that these things will increase the risk of drug-herb interactions. It does not indicate there will be a drug-herb interaction. I want to make that clear. It just as the risk for it is slightly higher because it has these interactions. It also has numerous D-level of evidence against its use with anticoagulants and antiplatelet medications, which is backed up by one level C case study. So again, level D basically means nothing shown in humans, and level C starts to show humans, but it's low, relatively low-level human evidence. There's also some concern about phytoestrogenic effects from Dongwe. So this is where um, they think it, it may act like an estrogen on the body. Um, it is not currently supported by the evidence. In fact, level B evidence says, says there is no phytoestrogenic effects. So um, fairly strong evidence shows there's not. These, these, uh, it doesn't act like an estrogen on the body. Shung D. Wong it doesn't do CYP3A4, so there might be some potential interactions there. Additionally, a level B study, so again, fairly good evidence, showed increased adverse effects when combining several individual herbs, including Shen D. Wong, with the antipsychotics clozapine, quietiapine, and olanzapine. So those are some potential issues there. Gochiza shows three case studies. Uh, so again, level C evidence showing potential interactions with warfarin, which is an anticoagulant. Um, Coumadin is the brand name for that. Some general concerns for this formula. This formula is contraindicated for pain and distension from dampness or phlegm. That's from Bensky. And then Chen and Chen does add a couple more cautions. It is contraindicated in patients with hypochondriac pain caused by liver fire rising without vacuity. It is inappropriate for patients with qi and blood stagnation, depression, and or phlegm as the formula can increase uh, these, it can make these, these conditions worse. So that is something we want to avoid if we can. And that is it. 
thank you very much. According to my, I think we're only a couple minutes over. Uh, thank you again. Just a reminder, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage at superbserbs.com. Helps us get a few pennies, keep this going. Uh, you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. Happy to hear from you. Happy to answer any questions, any of those sort of things. And so appreciate it. On our next episode, our next scheduled episode is going to cover one of, if not the most, controversial herbs in our pharmacopoeia. Mahuang, herba ephedra, ephedra herba. This is a banned herb in the United States as well as many other nations of the world. And yet, it is an extremely important and useful herb that cannot be substituted. And it is the first Chinese herb most of us learn when we start to study Chinese herbs. Please join us for this amazing episode on our next episode. Finally, we have our bibliography as usual. And I want to thank you all for lasting the whole way. Thank you very much. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins, Rogers. Campbell.